So how should I vote? The White House is not heaven, and the president is not God. God is still on his throne, and he has not abandoned his sovereign rule. God didn't start when start got started. He started start, and he didn't begin when the beginning began. He began the beginning. Thus, before there's time, God has always existed as God, and God is good with being God. Amen? God is in control. Now, as we anticipate this election day, here's what we know. The White House has not always been a clean house. And over the last 200 years, oftentimes, it's been a dirty house. Now, the person that holds that position of president is to do so with great honor and with great integrity is a very sacred position to hold here in our land. Noah Webster, some 200 years ago, said this, when you exercise the right of voting for public officers, God commands you choose for rulers, just men who will rule in the fear of God. Just men who will rule in the fear of God. If the citizens neglect their duty and place unprincipled men in office, the government will soon become corrupted. The public revenues will be squandered on unworthy men and the rights of the citizens will be violated or disregarded. 200 years ago, he said this. If a government fails, it must be because the citizens neglect the divine commands of God and elect bad men to make and administer the laws. In selecting men for office, let principle be your guide. Look at his character. When a citizen gives his vote to a man known for immorality, he abuses his trust. He sacrifices not only his interest, but that of his neighbor as well as the interest of his country. What we do today will echo for eternity. What has been established over the last years will echo for eternity. And so, as Noah Webster said some 200 years ago, we have a responsibility to look, to look for just men who will rule in the fear of God. We have a responsibility. We are responsible as evangelical believers and as the church of Jesus Christ, we are responsible to honor God. We are here to promote and preserve the name of Elohim, Jehovah God, with everything that we have inside of us. We are here to protect the interest of our neighbor as well as the interest of our country. Joshua chapter 5, I want to share a text with you and then I'll move to Matthew 22. But Joshua Joshua 5, Joshua chapter 1, Moses has died God has anointed and appointed Joshua. Hebrew would be Yeshua. Yeshua means God is our salvation. When you see the name Joshua, it means God is our deliverer. God is our salvation. The New Testament uh, name in the Greek would be the name of Jesus, means God is our salvation. God is our deliverer. So when you see the name Joshua, you know it's talking about the salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, God has raised Joshua up. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. I'm, I'm going to raise you up as a great warrior and leader. Chapter 5, verse 13, Joshua 
approached the city of Jericho, and he looked up, and he saw a man facing him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you a friend or are you an enemy? Are you for us or are you against us? Neither. I am commander of the Lord's army. I think Joshua's question is pertinent to where we're at today. When we look at what is going on in this country, a lot of people want to ask, whose side is God on? Whose side is God on? Where where does God land with all this? During the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln overheard a conversation. You heard someone say that he hoped that the Lord was on the Union side. Lincoln responded by saying, I know that the Lord is always on the side of right. My prayer is that I and this nation are on the Lord's side. So the question really is not whose side is God on. The question really that I pose to you today is this. Are you on God's side? Are you lined up with God? Are you lined up with the truths and the principles that God has laid out in Scripture? Whose side are you on? Because God is true and God is perfect and God is pure and he does not change. Now, the Citizens' Almanac lists the rights and the responsibilities that we have as American citizens. I have posted this. My notes will be on our website, thecrossloganville.org. Go into our focus series. This will be focus number seven here. But I would highly encourage you to pull up these notes. And so I've got the link to uh, the Citizens' Almanac here of our rights and responsibilities. There's a lot more to read, but I would highly encourage you to do that. Also on my notes, on the final page, I have the Declaration of American Values. I don't have time to get into that today, but I wanted to provide that for you where you could go in and research and study even more. Now, what are the rights that we have as American citizens? Freedom to express ourselves, And so we can express ourselves with freedom in this country, one of the rights. You've got the freedom to worship as you wish. Doesn't have to be evangelical or whatever, but you've got the freedom in this country to worship as you wish. You can worship trees, you can worship dogs, you can worship whatever deity or whatever you want to worship, but we have the freedom to worship God in spirit and in truth in this country. That's one of the freedoms. Uh, You've got uh, the right to a fair trial by a jury. That's one of the rights you have in this country. You've got the right to vote uh, in elections. For public officials. That's a right that we have to vote for who we want to see elected. We've got the right to apply for federal employment, yet it requires U.S. citizenship. That's a right we have. Uh, You've got the right to run for an elected position yourself. That's a right you have. You've got the freedom to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's one of the rights we have. And you've also got the right to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. Don't miss that one. We have a right to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, whether they be foreign or even domestic. Those are rights. Now, with rights come responsibility. When you have... When you have rights and you have no responsibility, you become a liability. That's what we're finding ourselves as a country. People want to talk about, well, I got the right to do whatever. With rights come responsibilities. Here are the responsibilities we have. We have the responsibility to stay informed of the issues that are affecting our community. 
Who's got that responsibility? Each and every one of us. I would highly encourage you to comb through what is uh, the amendments being uh, thrown out there in this election. Who are the candidates? What's going on? It is not fair to live on barred convictions and hand-me-downs. It's not fair just to run to somebody else and say, tell me what to do. There's so many people that live in the church that have landed there over the years that don't know what they believe, but they want to run to somebody else and say, tell me what I believe. You've got to comb it out. That's a responsibility. Uh, One of the responsibilities is that we participate in the democratic process by voting. So I'll be voting uh, in this election. I'll I'll be voting. I've voted since I was 18 years old uh, because that is a responsibility that I have as an American citizen. Uh, One of the other responsibilities is to respect and obey federal, state, and local laws. That's a responsibility we have. Uh, Respect the rights, beliefs, and opinions of others. I don't have to agree, but one of the responsibilities I have is to show general respect for other people. Uh, One of the responsibilities is to to participate in your local community. I want to be actively involved. And so when it comes to things that we do as a church and things uh, that we do as a family, get involved. We do a lot of stuff in the sporting world and all that, but get involved in the community. Make a difference somewhere. Uh, I have a responsibility to pay taxes, uh, honestly and on time. Didn't say I could cheat them. I've got to be honest about this. Federal, state, and local, I've, I've, I've got to pay taxes. I've got to serve on a jury uh, when called upon. Barb, my wife, uh, got her little stuff in the mail, and she's got jury duty this week. And I'm like, well, that's, that's, that's part of our responsibility. And then another responsibility we have is to defend the country if the need should ever arise. So with rights come responsibilities. Now, freedom is not the privilege to do as you want. It's the responsibility to do as you should. With freedom comes responsibility. And so God has called us as evangelicals and his creation to be responsible with the assignments that he's put before us. So you've got rights, but you've also got responsibilities. My buddy Jody Heiss, I've known Jody for about 18, 20 years, and Jody is a congressman that represents this area. And so Jody and I were talking about two months ago, and uh, we started talking about the budget, the U.S. budget that we have here. And we know that we're trillions in debt with the budget. But Jody made this observation. He said, do you realize that two-thirds of our budget, all of that two-thirds goes toward entitlement programs? I said, so you're telling me as a country, two-thirds is toward entitlement programs. He said, two-thirds. Two-thirds. So, so, so people want to claim, I've got right, but if you have rights, you've got to have responsibility. And part of being a responsible person, I like what Paul said in Thessalonians, a man who does not work shouldn't eat. You've got to do something. So what we do today will echo for eternity. Now, as we head into these last days of this presidential uh, election and these debates that we've seen take place, the candidates have debated the economy, health care, social issues, abortion, Planned Parenthood, immigration, and many other issues. We, we've seen this kind of stuff happen. We've seen uh, the debates on uh, the telecast, and there's articles floating around, whatever, whatever. Here's what I want you to hear loud and clear. I want you to get this right out of the gate. 
It is not my responsibility to tell you who to vote for. It is not my responsibility to tell you who to vote for. As a, as a pastor, I don't even think it's wise for a pastor to become entangled in partisan politics. I don't think it's wise because God has called us to minister to people. Now, do I have a stance? Yes, I've got a stance. But is it my right and responsibility to tell you who to vote for? No. However, even though I'm not here to tell you who to vote for, I do believe it is my responsibility to proclaim the principles of this scripture right here without any reservation or hesitation, even if those issues are political. I've got a responsibility to preach the word of God The 66 canonized books that we believe are true for all people of all places of all time. I do have a responsibility to proclaim God's word. Now, that is a responsibility I have. Now, let's get a working definition of politics. If you got your bulletin, there's a place for you to write in there. And I even define politics for you. But John Stott, who is a respected uh, biblical scholar, said this. Politics is about the life of the city and the responsibility of the citizens. It's about the life of the city and the responsibility of the citizens. It is concerned with the whole of our life in human society. And so when we start to think about politics, get a working definition, responsibility of the citizens is they do life in a city or a community. It's about what, what, what governs that community, what governs that city, what governs that state. So politics... And its simplest definition for me is the art of living together in community. The art of living together in community. Now, politics is concerned with the development and the adoption of certain policies and legislation. And we see it in our culture today that politics has really become more about power trips than it has policies. And so we see a lot of pride and ego and arrogance when people start getting into the political realm. Politics in its very purest definition is all about life in the, in the community and city. And it's about uh, the responsibilities of citizens to carry out living their lives in a responsible way. Everybody clean on what we're talking about. This is explanation. So the question must be posed, was Jesus involved in politics? Was Jesus involved in politics? We claim to be a New Testament church founded on the teachings and principles of Christ. Thus saith the Lord, was Jesus involved in politics? Here's what we know. We know that he never formed a political party. We know that he never adopted a political program. And we know that he never organized a political protest. We know that. If anything, he totally denounced a political career because they tried to make him this earthly king and ruler. And he goes, that's not why I came. But in a broader sense, in a broader sense, his entire ministry was political. Don't miss this. Jesus came into the world to do life and to share life with the human community. If politics is about the human community doing life in a city or a community, we would look and go, that's what Jesus did. He sent his disciples into the world to do life in community. We build community here. We're about relationship here at the Cross Loganville. We believe God wants every person involved in community after they come to know him. Now, the kingdom of God that Jesus established was new and radically different 
than what was existing in that day. It was all about social organizations. You had major groups that were players in Jesus' day. You had a group called the Pharisees, a group called the Sadducees, a group called the Essenes. You even had the Herodians. You had a variety of groups. But when Jesus came in preaching the kingdom of God, it was radically different. And here's what ended up happening. It spoke against the sinful community of that day. And it had incredible political implications of what he was talking about. The Pharisees loved power. One of the ways to remember the Pharisees is they were not fair, you see. They were all about power and control and pride. Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection and they were always trying to undermine stuff. And so you've got these groups that just really wanted to come against Jesus. Now, Jesus was concerned, bold statement, about the principles and truths that govern and direct the substance of human life and society. Jesus was concerned in his teachings, proclamation, parables, about the principles and truths that would govern and direct the substance of human life and society. He was altering the way man thought and the way man did things. Even the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus comes and he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. Repeatedly, he makes that statement. You've heard it said under the the old covenant, this is the way you do it. But I say to you, he brought about life and he brought about the spirit of God that would radically change the way you do reasoning in the community. Now, Matthew 22 is a very interesting take. Matthew 22, I'll pick it up in verse 15, but it's a very interesting take. Because what you've got here is the Sadducees trying to trap Jesus. You've got the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus. Now you see the Pharisees and the Herodians coming together trying to trap Jesus. And and the Sadducees were like, they didn't even believe in the resurrection, but they posed this question right before this to say, now this dude was married to this girl here and he died and his brother ends up marrying her. And then he dies and the next brother marries her. Whose wife will she be in the resurrection? They didn't even believe in a resurrection. So when you get to Matthew 22, you're seeing uh, this conspiracy, if you will, to try to trap Jesus up. Verse 15 the Pharisees counseled together on how they might trap Jesus and what he said. We got to see if we can set a trap for him. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, teacher, we know all flattery. We know that you are truthful. You teach the way of God in truth. You defer to no one and you're not partial to any. Tell us, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? Jesus perceived their malice and said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin. Show me the coin used for the poll tax. They brought him a denarius. He said to him, uh, to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, it's Caesar's. He said, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. Interesting take. So they come to him and they pose a political question. Days before his betrayal, his arrest, before his crucifixion. Now, they're trapping Jesus for a reason. They're conspiring against Jesus for a reason. They're asking this loaded question for a reason. You you see, the parables 
that Jesus was speaking was absolutely confronting the hypocrisy of this group. If you even go back to Luke 15, one of my favorite texts in the Bible, and that's where he talks about the lost uh, sheep and the lost uh, coin and then the lost son. That, that whole teaching hinges on Luke 15, 1 and 2, where they were ticked that Jesus was hanging out with sinners, despicable, notorious thugs, and, and Jesus looks and says, hey, let me tell you what the kingdom looks like. Let me tell you what the heart of the Father looks like. So Jesus' teachings were constantly confronting the Pharisees and their power trips that they were on. Everybody gelling with me there. And so they wanted to trap him. Uh, they were hypocrites. Now the Pharisees and Herodians hated each other. The Pharisees and Herodians could not even get along with each other. But their mutual hate for Jesus transcended their hate for each other. So they formed this posse and we're going to come at him. There's a lot of Facebooking and texting and Twittering and all this stuff you see floating around right now that you would conclude that you really not really sure who a person is for in this election. You just know who they're against. You, you, you follow me. And that, 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 that's sad, but that's what's happening here. We know who we're against. We just know we're not for each other. And they're not even for truth because Jesus calls them hypocrites. The Pharisees opposed paying taxes because they didn't want to submit to Roman authority. The Herodians supported paying taxes because Herod's government was funded by taxes. And they thought, well, man, that's a hook me up. So they asked this loaded question. If Jesus says, I oppose taxes, he would be in trouble with Rome. But if he said he supported taxes, he would be in trouble with the Jews. So they think they've thrown the, 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 the trap out there, and we've teed up this question that he's going to answer one way or the other. They thought they had given the king an either-or question. It's too brilliant for him. He's too brilliant for him. Now, here, 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 here's, the, here's the deal. This text right here is not about paying taxes, even though we're responsible to pay taxes, even though we all get ticked off about taxes, even though we don't like how high they are and how poor they're used in our country. But it, 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 this ain't about taxes. This ain't about April 15th. This ain't about the IRS. They're trying to trip him. This whole thing is about, we're going to throw a political question at you and try to trip you up. Jesus looks and says, uh, why are you testing me, you hypocrite? A hypocrite is a person who says one thing, but yet does something else. The way they talk and the way they walk don't match up. So Jesus looks at them and calls them hypocrites. He had called them whitewashed tombs. And he had called them all these crazy uh, kind of uh, derogatory names looking at them going, uh, uh, you are all about the malice and the deceit in your heart. You're just a bunch of hypocrites. You're, 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 no, you're, you're no good deep down inside of your heart. You don't want to do what's right. And that's what Jesus is saying to them. Now, you hypocrite. Now, if you're like me, and you've been paying attention to this volley and stuff that's been going on in this debate. If you're like me, you're not, if you're not careful, you sit there and go, based on what I'm seeing amongst these candidates with this upcoming election, which candidate is least hypocritical? 
You're not asking which one of them is righteous. You're not asking which one has driven the stake in the ground to surrender to the lordship of Jesus. You're sat there scratching your head at times going, hypocrites. That's what we're dealing with. So Jesus says, uh, here's what I want you to do. So you want to know, is it lawful to pay this poll tax to Caesar or not? Bring me the coin. So they bring Jesus the coin. So Jesus holds this coin, this silver coin, that's minted and stamped with the emperor's image on it. And Jesus looks and says, whose image is on this coin? They're like, Caesar's. We got him. We've trapped him. He's got to go somewhere now. Jesus then looks and says, render, give back, and pay back to Caesar Listen, what belongs to Caesar? Then give to God what belongs to God. Whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. Whose image were you made in? Whose image is stamped on your life? Who made you? Who created you? You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Jesus spins it and says, this ain't a tax question. This is who owns you statement. What are you doing with your life? You were made in the image of God. You render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But you better give God what belongs to God. And you're trying to trap God and trip God up because you don't want to honor God. You want to stay in a position of power. And we would be great as a nation. And we would be great as a church. And we would be great as individual families if each and every one of us decided to give God back what belongs to God. It is time for us to get right with God. It is time for us to cry out to God. It is time for us to get our hearts right with God. Whose image is on your life? God's. So it's not about money. No, it's about heart. Life is a gift. God breathed life into the nostrils and we became living souls. Your life is a gift because it was stamped in the image of God. Father, Son, and Spirit. You're triune. Your body, soul, and spirit. And God wants to bring you back out of death, spiritual death, and make you spiritually alive so that you can worship him in spirit and in truth. So Jesus looks at the religious posse of that day and says, whose image were you made in? What's stamped on your life? And the implied emphasis of the text is then give God what belongs to God. And we would be wise to repent and quit trusting in our secular, humanistic, postmodern style reasonings and to say it is time for us to get right with God. God has made me in his image. God created me. God has redeemed me through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And God has poured out his Holy Spirit on Pentecost. It's time for me to give God what belongs to God. Because if we who belong to God, his people, will truly humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and turn from our wickedness, God promises, I'll hear from heaven and I'll heal your land. But you've got to give back to God what belongs to God if you really want to see God work. 
And that's where we're at as a nation. We're in need of national repentance. We need to see in the U.S. what happened in Nineveh. We need to see some reluctant prophets show up and start proclaiming the powerful truths of the gospel in Loganville, in Walton County, in the state of Georgia, throughout this nation to see repentance. And then we need to be sending people out to Spain and Mexico and other places to proclaim the good news of the gospel. But it's going to require that we give back to God what belongs to God. Now, I'll close you with this. Regarding the election, it's not always easy to find a candidate that will support biblical principle. It's not easy. Now, the challenge is we need to think through the position each candidate holds in respect to biblical principle. How how, how are they viewing certain crucial uh, issues? I'm going to get there. Romans 13.1 says this. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. God is the ultimate authority. And the laws of the land, God goes, it can be healthy. But if we go back and violate what Noah Webster said, and we put unjust men there, we're going to see crippling effects and chaos because of the people that we elected because we've neglected divine commands. But he says, you got to respect it. Now, The Bible teaches that each and every one of us have an obligation to submit to authority. I'm under authority. One of my favorite questions to ask in evangelism is, who's your authority? Who who do you belong to? Who's your authority? Now, if the state requires us to do that which is opposed to the law of God, we can refuse to submit to that. No, 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 no. And there's things that are happening right now. There's things that are happening right now. I don't want to see my tax dollar go toward it. Here, here's what I believe has happened, though. So, so, it is crucial for us to take a stand. When you go back and start to study the shift, you go back to the Woodstock generation. You go back to Roe versus Wade. You go back to prayer being taken out of school. You go back to even where the nation then said, we're not doing the Pledge of Allegiance anymore. So we don't honor God. We don't honor our country. And we've pretty much said, you don't have to honor anybody. That's where we find ourselves today. The church was silent years ago on crucial issues. We cannot afford for that to be the testimony of us today. We cannot go there. Now, here's the reality. One vote at a time, we got to show up. Jesus Christ is not running for office, and so I've got bad news. There's no perfect candidates out there. The Apostle Paul is not the vice president, and Peter is not going to be secretary of state. Right? We need to stay focused on values and not on a person or a party. There's been a shift over the years. There's not one party out there that we go, that one's perfect. I can tell you this. There's one person out there that I would say, he's perfect, and he has conquered death on the grave, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father right now. Who gives us the best chance when it comes to endorsing or promoting biblical values? We have a responsibility as God's people to honor God. Here's some things. We are responsible 
you and I, we are responsible to promote and preserve God's name. Elohim, Jehovah, our great creator, our redeemer, the author, perfecter, establisher of our faith, I want you to promote and preserve my name wherever you go. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We also have a responsibility to protect and promote what is the best interest of our neighbor. Let me tell you who our neighbor is. Our neighbor is the Josh Lees. Our neighbor is the kids and grandkids of Josh Lee. It's not about what's going to work for me right now until I get my next 10, 20 years and then I go boots up. What am I doing to establish for that next generation so that they've got a chance of winning? The slippery slope will continue if the evangelical church doesn't rise up and become a voice strong in this nation. I've got a responsibility to my neighbor. I've also got a responsibility to, uh, to protect what is the best interest of this country. Many of the founding fathers really did love Christ. Some of the founding fathers were more Unitarian in belief. You go back and study the founding fathers of this country. But the Judeo-Christian values and principles that were established some 200 plus years ago, they're to be protected and preserved. I am responsible and you are responsible to secure the sanctity of human life. Did you hear me? I want to know what is the argument, whether it be local, whether it be state, whether it be national, what is the potential person's view on life, on the sanctity of life? Life does not start at birth. It starts at conception. What is their view on life? I don't want my money going to planned parenthood. I want my money going toward that next generation who's given a choice to breathe and do life. You, You see, what is the candidate's view when it comes on the sanctity of life. The next one is just like it. I'm all about life. I've got to look at the umbrella of life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He breathed into our nostrils life. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life. God is pro-life. Anybody that's anti-life doesn't need to be an elected official, shouldn't be in a pulpit, and shouldn't be leading anybody. When a majority of your funding is coming from the pharmaceutical currency that disturbs and disrupts and destroys life, I got a problem with that. I believe that I have a responsibility to secure the institution of marriage as one man and one woman because it is a life statement. When you allow man with man and woman with woman, what you're saying is life is cut off. It is impossible, it is impossible for Adam and Bruce to replenish the earth. It's a life issue. I'm about to get going up here. But I'm telling you, we've got to look at what is the candidate's view toward life. 
Because God is pro-life. Are there people sitting in here that have gone in their past story, like Mama Kay shared so beautifully the pain of it, of abortion, yes. Is she pro-life? She came to faith in Christ. She's under the blood of Christ. She's serving at Pregnancy Resource, fighting for these girls to save life. We care about life. We don't want to murder. We don't want to kill. We don't want to steal. We don't want to violate God. God, God, God wants to help us. Is there certain people that benefit from certain things pharmaceutically? Yes, but the abuse and misuse of it in our culture has destroyed people. So I'm looking, going, what is your view? What is your view toward life? Y'all, y'all hanging in here with me this morning? So if a candidate does not support life in God's blueprint and design for marriage, they're not worthy of office. We have a responsibility. God's given us rights, but we got to be responsible. And we can't sit silent on crucial issues any longer. We can't. We, we can't just sit there and pretend, well, God's in control and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I don't want you in a foxhole with me. No, I don't. Oh, it's whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Do I believe that God is sovereign? Yes. But do I believe that we have responsibility? Do I believe that Genesis 2.16 is crucial? That when God put man in the garden, he said, you're free to eat off of any tree in the garden. But if you eat off the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die. I don't want to eat off the tree of knowledge and die. I want to eat off the tree of life and live. And I want to see others have that opportunity to be extended the good news of the gospel so that they can come to know Yeshua Jesus is king. So we have rights, but we've got responsibilities. And I, I don't want to be a liability. I want to have accountability with you, and I want us to do the right thing. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but you better look at some of these crucial issues because we're responsible for that. God can send revival. I can't. I can't manipulate revival. But God can send revival if each and every one of us gets serious and repent and Push and press in toward the heart of the gospel. I pray that today's word encouraged you. And thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, feel free to contact us here at the Cross Loganville. Our email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us 770-554-3322. God bless you, and I pray that you have just an incredible day.